I've experienced fear personally recently because I, I went to Six Flags with my kids. Who's been to Six Flags this year so far? No, nobody? Wow. Bummer year for Six Flags, at least at Salem. Um, so I hadn't been to Six Flags for a long time. And actually, the last time I was there at Six Flags, my kids were little. So we kind of stuck to the little areas, you know. And, and uh, it was the kiddie rides. And really, the most exciting and death-defying thing we did was the log flume. Um, and so it wasn't that scary. Now, what I'm noticing, and I noticed this year, is as, uh, as I get older and my imminent death approaches, um, I, I get more and more afraid that these 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 rides that are supposed to simulate a death-defying fear really cause a death fear in me. And I get really scared. My kids, on the other hand, think that this is the best thing on earth, okay? And uh, I've got uh, a 10-year-old uh, boy, and I've got a 7-year-old boy, and we have a 3-year-old. I tried to stick with him most of the time so he could just kind of ride the, the moon cars and things like that. But the other kids wanted to go on these really exciting rides that, that I just thought were horrible. Why would you submit yourself to these rides? Um, and uh, my, my son, Max, who's 10, brought another 10-year-old boy, uh, one of his friends over, and they were going to go on a ride called the Boomerang. He's like, let's go on the Boomerang. I heard a kid died on that ride, which I got freaked out about. I, a kid died on that ride. I looked it up uh, right there because I had my phone. I Googled it. It turned out it, it did malfunction a couple of months beforehand. It did. Nobody died. Um, uh, it was it, Some kids got stuck a little bit down the, down the track, and then they had to you know, repair it. So nobody died. Nobody got hurt. Although this kid thought that somebody died on it and they ran towards it. In fact, the, he actually believed somebody died and it was a selling point of the ride. So some people love fear. I do not like fear. Um, in fact, did you know what the most repeated commandment in scripture is? Do not be afraid. Okay, so we know about the Ten Commandments, and we know about the greatest commandment, that is to uh, love the Lord with all that we are and to love our neighbors as ourselves. That's the most important commandment. However, the most repeated commandment, which would also give me an indication that it's pretty important, is do not be afraid. Now, there's a, there's a difference between this thing we call fear and another thing we call caution, which is an altogether appropriate uh, thing. So caution is this. Caution is care taken to avoid danger or mistakes. That's reasonable. Uh, fear is an unpleasant emotion caused by the fear that someone or something is dangerous, likely to cause pain or a threat. So caution is an appropriate thing, right? It's an appropriate action taken to avoid danger. Fear, on the other hand, is more of a state of mind. It says it was a it's a belief, right? Uh, I think about fear like this. It's like a pair of goggles or glasses that you put on. And when you have these on, it colors how you see the whole world around you. And it actually distorts reality. It, it makes you view all things and all people as suspect. And it makes you think that everything could be dangerous and out to get you. Um, so fear causes us to worry, worry about our finances, about our kids, our jobs. It makes us worry about that slight pain that we've got in our side that is definitely a, uh, a deadly disease, right? Um, it makes us worry about that investment that probably means we're going to lose everything and we'll never be able to make it back. So worry and fear takes you immediately from caution to catastrophe. And I want to read this from Matthew chapter 6, verse 27. It says this, this is the words of Jesus. 
can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? Well, not only can worrying not add hours to your life, uh, most, most medical studies will show you that worry and anxiety is actually poor, linked to poor health. I was reading a, an interesting study, uh, two studies, one involving Harvard Medical School and the Lone uh, uh, Cardiovascular Research Institute. The other was run by several Canadian medical colleges. Uh, these studies together concluded that among both men and women with, with established heart disease, um, those suffering from anxiety disorders, so people who have this constant anxiety, this constant worry, were, um, were at least twice as likely to have a heart attack as those with no history of anxiety. So not only will worrying not add a day to your life, it might subtract days from your life. Now here's the thing. Um, let's, let's raise our hands if we've never had any real catastrophes in our life. Has anybody never had any real problems? Well, I mean, maybe somebody feels like, well, what's a problem? They're all relative, right? But I think everybody here has had something happen in their life that felt at least like a catastrophe, that felt at least like this is this is big deal. This is a big deal. I, I don't know what I'm going to do. Now, uh, there are some preachers out there, if you go to certain churches, that will promise you that if you become a Christian, you will not deal with any problems anymore. Run away from those people as fast as you can. That is not true. Uh, that's bad theology. It really is. We are not promised that we will not have tribulations in our lives or we will not have trials in our lives. In fact, uh, there's a verse in Proverbs that said, the rain falls on the just and the unjust alike. That means storms will happen to you as a follower of Jesus as well as non-followers of Jesus. We'll all have these storms. But what we are promised as people that follow Jesus Christ is that in the midst of the storm, we can have peace that the peace of God is available to us in the midst of the storm. Now, why is that, th that's that phrase, do not be afraid, so often repeated? Why is that one of those commands that more than anything else, God's trying to impact the hearts of his people with? I think it's because of this. Whatever you fear becomes your Lord. I'll say that again. Whatever you fear becomes your Lord. Here's what I mean by that is when we receive Christ, when we enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ, the Bible says that he becomes our Lord and Savior. Now, Savior makes sense, right? When we have, when we have faith in Jesus Christ, we believe that he um, saves us from our sins. That even though we are sinners, the, the sacrificial act of Jesus on the cross sets us free from our sins and death. However, being Lord takes it a step further because what you make Lord is this, is whatever you give your attention to. Your Lord is whatever you set your eyes upon, whatever you put your focus on. Another way to think about it is whatever you worship. You may think, well, I don't worship fear. I don't sing songs about fear. Maybe some of you do. I don't know. Um, but we don't think about worship in that way, but worship is what you're setting your focus on. It's what you're putting on the throne in your life. It's what your mind is consumed by. Now, when we take worry or of some fear of some catastrophic events, even something that's really real, what we're doing is we're placing that thing on the throne instead of Jesus Christ. And suddenly, the peace of God in your life is replaced by this suffocating fear. And that fear dictates how much or how little you sleep. That fear can dictate your decisions. 
You'll make your decisions in light of that fear. Your relationships will be affected by that fear, and it could be disastrous. Um, Sometimes we make fear more of a friend of ours than we make Jesus our friend. Here's the problem with that is that fear is a liar. Remember I talked about the goggles you put on. Fear puts these lying goggles on your eyes that distort your actual everyday reality. It affects, neg- negatively affects your sleep, your health, your relationship with others, and your relationship with God. And yet many of us make it a friend of ours. We spend way too much time with fear. Now, um, there's a great quote uh, by, by a preacher I like named uh, Dr. Jack Hayford, and he said this one time. He said, how would you treat a friend if they lied to you as often as your fears do? You'd probably want to get away from that person, wouldn't you? You'd probably not want to spend time with that friend. What I want to do is take a look at a piece of a part of Scripture, a part of the Old Testament, that tells us how we can appropriate this peace of Christ in our lives. How we can appropriate the peace of Christ in the midst of these uh, tragedies and in the midst of these circumstances that seem overwhelming. Because I promise you, if you haven't experienced something like that, it's coming. And we should be equipped as the people of God to find the peace of God in that place. Uh, I'm going to go to Second Chronicles chapter 20, and I want to set this story up. Uh, Say this name with me, because I need to say it to get it right myself. Jehoshaphat. You guys say that with a lot of confidence. I wasn't very confident. I didn't know if I'd get that right. Um, so Jehoshaphat was a king of Israel. This was after the time of some of the Old Testament kings you might know. So like uh, you might be aware of King David and King Solomon. This is after that time. Now, um, Jehoshaphat was king, and uh, it was a time when the, the people of Israel were kind of smashed into a very small part of what we now know as, uh, as Israel. And it, even, even when Jesus was uh, walking on this earth, uh, Israel was much bigger. This was the, the kingdom of Israel was basically smashed into a small part of what is now modern-day Israel, and there were enemies all around. And I, I thought about showing a, a, a map, but it would probably be more confusing than illuminating. Just understand this about what the situation with Jehoshaphat is that he is the king, and everybody wants to destroy the people of Israel. All of their neighbors. Now, their neighbors don't get along with each other, but one thing they do know is that they don't like Israel. And they want to destroy them, so they all get together, and they're marching towards Israel, and they're going to surround them, and they're going to destroy them. Jehoshaphat, uh, we, we're going to pick this up at the latter part of verse 12 in Second Chronicles chapter 20. It says this, this is what Jehoshaphat is praying to God. We do not know what to do. Who's ever been there? We do not know what to do. But our eyes are on you. That's the right response, by the way. But our eyes are on you. Verse 15, I'm going to pick this up. Because we're going to hear there's a prophet of the Lord that is going to speak forth the word of the Lord to Jehoshaphat. Uh, and I, I want to read this out. This is the prophet speaking the word of the Lord. He, he said, listen, King Jehoshaphat, and all who live in Judah and Jerusalem. So that's all the people of Israel. This is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army, for the battle is not yours but God's. Tomorrow, march down against them. They will be climbing up by the paths of Ziz, and you will find them at the end of the gorge in the desert of Jeruel. You will not have to fight this battle. Take your possessions. Take your positions. Stand firm 
and see the deliverance that the Lord will give you. Judah and Jerusalem, do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Go out and face them tomorrow, and the Lord will be with you. I'm going to skip down to verse 20 and pick it up again. This takes us right to the day of the battle. Early in the morning, they left for the desert of Tekoa. As they set out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Listen to me, Judah and people of Jerusalem. Have faith in the Lord your God, and you will be upheld. Have faith in his prophets, and you will be successful. After consulting the people. Now get this. This is their strategy for winning a battle. It's real swords here, people. Real spears. Jehoshaphat stood and said, Listen to me, Judah and people of Jerusalem, have faith in the Lord your God and you will be upheld. Have faith in his prophets and you'll be successful. Now listen to this. This is when he's talking to his leaders. After consulting the people, Jehoshaphat uh, appointed men to sing to the Lord and to praise him for the splendor of his holiness as they went out at the head of the army saying, Give thanks to the Lord. For his love endures forever. As they began to sing and praise, the Lord set ambushes against the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir who were invading Judah, and they were defeated. Do you see what just happened here? I don't know, maybe some of that just sounds like Old Testament, so you just kind of turn off. Okay, when he's done, when he makes the point, I'll get back into it. Okay, here's what happened, is that they're, they're facing certain destruction. Okay? And they say, we, we don't know. Jehoshaphat says, God, I don't know what to do. My eyes are on you, but I, I got no idea what to do. God says, you're going to have to fight this battle. And uh, Jehoshaphat, what he does is they, they, they meet the enemy. And what does he do? He sends out the musicians, the dancers, the praisers. I did not see this in Braveheart. They start praising God in front of the enemy. Now, uh, anybody like World War II documentaries and like military documentaries? I, I'm a big fan of that stuff. I find it really interesting. When, when we're at home, we've got young kids, and so it's usually if the family's together, it's some talking animal movie in, in their many varieties, and those are fine. And then if it's my wife and I watching something, it will be you know a comedy, a drama. I hate action movies. I mentioned that before. So it probably won't be anything with Vin Diesel in it. But So if it's just me alone... I am watching a military documentary. I love them. I don't even know why, um, but I, I, find it, I find it fascinating digging through the strategies and, and uh, how they would figure out how, why they won this battle or what strategy uh, this, this specific general used. And it doesn't matter what time period, uh, whether it's uh, one of uh, the more recent wars or it's an ancient war. I find it fascinating. One thing I've never heard in any of those documentaries was... And they sent out the musicians first. They sent the singers and the dancers first. And they won the battle. Like many things in the kingdom of God, this doesn't make logical sense. Just like it probably doesn't make sense to most people that the picture of victory over all sin and death is a man dying on a cross. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense to most people definitely not to most military tacticians. They probably don't teach it at West Point to send the band, the worship team, first. I don't know if our worship team would have the courage. Do you guys think you would? <laughs> Here's the thing. What's the key to this? 
we know, I, what I want to get through is this principle of this passage. And I think it's this. When we enter con- encounter conflicts in our lives, when we encounter insurmountable circumstances, battles we can't win, we have one of two options. We can give into this fear and put on these fear goggles, right? We can go into bo- our battle blindsided, distorted with fear, which, misshapes, which totally misshapes our reality. Now, I think one thing is really fascinating. In verse 21, it says, Jehoshaphat appointed me to sing, uh, men to sing to the Lord and to praise him. Give thanks to the Lord, for his love endures forever. What do we see? We see them putting God on the throne in front of their enemies. We see them saying that we will praise in a time of conflict when we have no idea how to get out of this circumstance. We put God on the throne. Now, here's one thing that's interesting. Uh, this gets back to that bad theology I talked about earlier. Some people will say, well, if you're a follower of Jesus, everything is hunky-dory. No, what's amazing was that God tells Jehoshaphat, you're going to face the battle. You will face the battle. You will be in a battle. But what else does he say? Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army, for the battle is not yours but God's. I want you to repeat that with me. The battle is not yours but God's. One more time. The battle is not yours but God's. I, I know you've probably been in this situation where you've come to church and you've got heaviness on your heart. Maybe you were like that this morning with the things that have happened in our country, and you think, I, I'm not in a mood to praise I've got so much going on in my life, so much tragedy. Let me tell you, that goes counter to what the Word of God says. It says this, that when you are in this storm, that's when you need to praise. That's when you need to set God on the throne because that changes everything. That's what puts the warrior king God on the throne fighting your battles for you is when you praise and you say, God, I can't do this. I have nothing to offer this battle, but my eyes are on you. It changes everything. It puts God on the throne and it takes down fear. Now, what I want to do, and I'm going to invite the band back up to the stage. I want to be really practical because I can understand how some people might be in this room and say, well, how do I do that? How do I actually do that in my life? I want to give you a, a, a tool, a very practical tool of how we can live this out. I'm a big believer in praying Scripture, praying through the promises of God in Scripture. And here's how we can do that. Um, you can find many promises. There's whole books you can get that are just scriptural promises that God gives to his people. Uh, from the Old Testament all the way through to the book of Revelation, God promises things to his people, and we are his people. And so we can appropriate these and pray these over our families, over our own lives, in times of turmoil. And we can place God on the throne. And instead of viewing things through the, the glasses or the goggles of fear, we see things through the eyes of our warrior king who sits on the throne to fight our battles. Uh, what I want to do is take one verse... Joshua 1.9, this is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. It says this, Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid, do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. 
That's a powerful scripture. And what I think is an awesome tool to appropriate the peace of God when we're in these times of trials that will come, when we're in these struggles that will come, that we can make that a prayer for ourselves. And I put underneath that a way that, that I pray this. I pray this like this. Thank you, Lord. And there's the praise right there, the praise of thanksgiving. Thank you, Lord. I will be strong and courageous. So I just took be strong and courageous, which is the command, and I appropriated that. I said, this is what I will do. I will be strong and courageous. I will not be discouraged, for you are with me everywhere I go. Amen. That's a powerful prayer. And that's a prayer you can pray for yourself. You can pray it over your children. You could pray it over anything in your life. Because you know as a follower of Jesus, this is a promise for your life. So what I'd like to do is if we could, oops, I'll try not to knock that over. If we can stand to our feet, I want us to pray this prayer with one voice. And then they're going to sing just the chorus of that song, Cornerstone. And I want us to enter into a time of praise. And maybe you're in this place and you are, are feeling that. You're feeling a, you're, you're up against something you don't know what to do. The best thing you can do is to keep Jesus on the throne to look to him as your warrior king who can fight your battles. Don't let fear be on the throne. Don't worship fear. Don't make it your Lord. And so what I want to do is to, to say this with one voice and uh, then we'll praise him because I think this is the appropriate response both over what's happening in our nation and what's happening in our own hearts because we need to be a people right now for our country, for our families, for all the people around us who are strong and courageous for the justice of the Lord to go forth. So if we can, let's say just the prayer portion of that at the bottom. We'll say it together. Thank you, Lord. I will be strong and courageous. I will not be discouraged, for you are with me everywhere I go. Amen. Let's say it one more time with, with all that we have, okay? Thank you, Lord. I will be strong and courageous. I will not be discouraged, for you are with me everywhere I go. Amen. Amen. And let's worship him.